Welcome back to Citizen Dame, the podcast where four women talk about all sorts of films and film news and all the things that we hate about the industry that we love. So this is episode number 10. I am Karen Peterson here today, as always, with Kristen Lopez. Hello. Lauren Humphreys Brooks. Hello. And Kimberly Pierce. Hello. All right, so last week we skipped over Garbage People because we just didn't feel like talking about it. We had a lot of movies to talk about. And this week, well, let's just go ahead and do a little bit of a rundown of what's happening in the Garbage People mess stuff. There was an article in Deadline about some LAPD investigations. Krista, why don't you go ahead and fill us in on what's happening there? So we will say Silver Lining... There were no new trash people released in the time that we've been well, on break. It's not Amazing. True. John Lasseter came. Is it John not Lasseter true? came after oh. we recorded last time. God. <laughs> Damn it! Okay, we'll touch on him in a second. So I feel like John Oliver with the "we got him" thing that nobody ever lets him use. So yeah. So uh, this came out via deadline. The LAPD announced they have 28 open sex crime cases involving um, various unnamed Hollywood and media figures under active investigation. And they're saying that more are definitely going to be opened as claims come oh in. Supposedly, they have five teams of two special assignment detectives investigating various people, whether it's Harvey Weinstein, Gossip Girl star Ed Westwick, Murray Miller, uh, Tyler Gresham, the agent, among others. Of course, everybody has denied all of these. So beyond the 28 cases, there are 37 other sex crime reports that have been sent to other jurisdictions. And supposedly some of these involve cold case units. So yeah, I am very intrigued by what they might be investigating that we don't necessarily know about. But from the sounds of it, it seems like it's things that we do know about. Well, I don't know. I think some of it is things that we've known about, and I think some of it is new. And I I also think that this is part of why the news seems to have slowed down, because there are people that are talking to the police and can't talk to the press right now. Right. But Honestly, that would probably be... We'd probably rather have it going through there than just leaking out to the press as it has been. Yeah, let's let them do their job. Let's let the police investigate yes. these things and determine what what needs to happen, what can happen, and go that from way. There. The garbage people can truly be rooted out, or hopefully, mm-hmm. we can at least get potentially charges. And you know, crossing our fingers. Yeah, absolutely. So, but yes, unfortunately, there was one new garbage person that we had to talk about, and that is John Lasseter, who is one of the early pioneers of Pixar, has executive produced pretty much every Disney Pixar film, right? Dating back to Toy Story, yeah. I'm aware of, at least. Yeah, I think yeah. he's... Yeah, I think yeah. his name is and, on every And most recently directed uh, and, and brought the Cars franchise into being, yeah. so I feel he should apologize for that. <laughs> right. This rips 10-year-old me's heart out. This is This is a hard one. Yeah, it was, and it's interesting because... I think that Disney tried to, Disney and Pixar tried to get out in front of it by by allowing him to make a statement and quit before everyone found out what he did to warrant that because this happened the day before Coco was being released and so I think that they didn't. Well, and and the rumor, the rumor that I heard is that this is a story that they had known about for um, a a while, a couple Mm -hmm. months. 
supposedly, um, because there are there are many reporters still doing investigating on unnamed figures mm-hmm. that supposedly have been months in the making. John Lasseter was a name when we were talking at AFI Fest about people. John Lasseter was a name that had been bandied about, and I said, no, what? So yeah, this, this hurts me, um, because yeah, John Lasseter is kind of like the new has been touted as the new Walt Disney. Yeah. Um, and you read some of the stories that have come out about this environment and the fact that women were told not to wear skirts on certain days, that they were told to turn their heads when he came around because he would tend to kiss them on the lips. I mean, of course, this is one of those stories, uh, it was exacerbated by drinking, which is slowly becoming one of the most overused excuses, regardless of whether it's true or not. It just always feels like an excuse. Um, well, it is an excuse. And, yeah, exactly. Um, and his statement, his statement that he put out, you never want to start a sentence with, if you feel you were on the wrong end of something. <laughs> I, yeah, just because you felt bad. Like, I'm sorry you felt bad. That's how you yeah. feel. That's not necessarily my intent. Um, that's yeah, bullshit. It's... And then it came, and then it came out that Rashida Jones um, had left writing the script for Toy Story 4. There were allegations that it was because of, uh, of oh, an unwanted advance. She refuted yeah. that. She re- Well, she refuted that. She refuted that, but said that the reason she left was because Pixar does not value minority and female voices in the creative process. Which, again, is nothing that... If you are a, a diehard Pixar follower like me, you have heard that story before. Pixar was founded as a boys' yeah. club. They they fired uh, infamously fired Brenda Chapman, who was going to be the first female director off of Brave, and all of this is starting to just make a whole lot of yeah. sense. Well, and it and it pains me. All you me. have to do is look at the credits for any Disney Pixar film, and you can see that right. that is true. Yeah, well, and I think Coco is the first time they've had a person of color co-direct a film, mm-hmm. and so you know it's just it's it's frustrating because Pixar is kind of like this bastion of wholesomeness and yeah people yeah. suck it it really does seem like every every time we get something like oh it's a boys club and that that's that's a code word i mean i mean it, and right. it it facilitates this kind of behavior it basically says like because it's a boys club and the boys are like oh it's just you know it's the whole it's the old excuse boys being boys and and so it, yeah it's i don't know maybe i'm not as attached to pixar as some people but when I heard about that, I was just like, oh, yeah, makes sense. All right, moving on. Like, it didn't it, it didn't bother me <laughs> in in the sense that yeah. that I wasn't like, oh, my God, this has destroyed these films for me. It's just like, yeah, that's pretty, that makes sense to me. Okay. Well, it's, it's really funny because when I interviewed Andrea Riesborough when Battle of the Sexes came out, she had mentioned that she went to Pixar around the time of the interview and that she had asked them why they didn't have a female, females in power in their studio and they I mean the answer that she gave me that they gave her is just really hilarious because she was like oh they were like uh uh, uh, well we started with men and you know she was she's she wasn't buying it and that was back you know whenever that movie came out so people have been talking about it for years and we're still talking about it and so yeah I I'm very a lot of people have asked me oh does this mean that Coco is definitely going to be tarnished because of these allegations Lasseter was only involved as an executive producer, so I don't I don't want to think that this would hurt it come Oscar time. I mean this isn't this isn't like a Harvey Weinstein level of like multiple people, you know, horrible like rapes and assaults. 
so I don't I don't know if the the academy will be somewhat more it forgiving. It seems like it's going. I don't know. It seems like a lot of people are separating Lasseter from the film. Right, and let's not forget the fact that he's only taking a six month leave of absence. True. True. Well, yeah. for now, I think that it's going to end up being a permanent thing, but but yeah. Yeah, and we also have have in Adventures of Women Who Kick Ass. Yes, let's I don't know talk if anybody about, wants to mention Uma yeah, Thurman. Yeah, let's talk about that. Somebody want to throw it out there? Learn my uh, All right, I'll, I'll, I'll say it. I think it, I think it was on um, it was on Thanksgiving that Uma Thurman took to both Facebook and Twitter basically saying that, and if I can find her the full statement, it's a great statement. I think it was on her Instagram. Yeah, I'm trying to pull up her I thought Instagram. it was Facebook. I have it here. Okay, go for it. Uh, she says, I am grateful today to be alive for all those I love and for those who have had the courage to stand up for others. I said I was angry recently and I've had, and I have a few reasons, hashtag me too, in case you couldn't tell by the look on my face. I feel it's important to take your time, be fair, be exact, so happy Thanksgiving, everyone. In parentheses, she has, except you, Harvey, and all your wicked conspirators. I'm glad it's going slowly. You don't deserve a bullet. Stay tuned, Duma Thurman. I mean, I, I mean, <laughs> you know, if, if anybody watched the, the interview with her where I think it was on a red carpet or something where she, they asked her about the Weinstein allegations and about sexual harassment in Hollywood. And the look, the look on her face, I think, was the look that many of us have worn, but she just really perfectly encapsulated it. And she talked about being, that she didn't want to say anything, that she was very angry. And she's like, I am angry and I am an adult and I know that I should not speak when I am angry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now, I, and now we I, seem I'm to be very... moving into the direction that it's quite obvious that she knows things, that she has had experiences and that something more is going to come out and it's going to be coming from her direction. Oh yeah, um, that's stay tuned. And it's, ni- it's nice to see, yeah, it's nice to see, I mean, it's not... It's not nice. It's not a good thing at all. But it's it's good to see a such a powerful actress who has been known publicly, you know, in films like Kill Bill and all of those to, to be very, like, powerful and standing up for herself and for other women to actually see her coming out and being like, all right, I'm going to prepare this and I know things. I mean, this is a woman who's been there from the time she was 17 years old. She she has she knows stuff and she definitely has had experiences. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see if she'll she'll name somebody that we don't know yet. I mean, Weinstein is the obvious one because she she's worked with with uh, the Weinstein company in, in Miramax. But I'm yeah, I, I'm I'm all for her uh, just kicking ass off screen and and being you know courageous enough to to throw some some people well, out there. I interpret there. it as she's going after the people that let Harvey get away with what he did for so long. Yeah. Exactly. That could be, yeah. Well, that's, and that's something that, that's something that needs to be addressed more. The Ronan Farrow's talked about it too. The people that enabled Weinstein and that enable every sexual harasser. No, no sexual harasser or rapist is able to behave the way that they do for as long as they do without having people surrounding them that are like, we're going, we're going to either turn a blind eye to it or actively enable it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we're seeing that in film criticism too. We've seen it across the board. Yeah, it's true. So, okay. Well, I wanted to go ahead and get the garbage people talk out of the way. <laughs> so let's circle back around. What has everyone been watching in the last, you know, week or so since we last spoke? It's been Thanksgiving week, so I think it's been pretty quiet for screenings and all that. But what have you all been watching? Kristen? Um, so I have been going through some screeners that I have been fortunate to get because it's award season. 
and I'm part of a critics org, so I got to see stuff like I, Tonya, which we're going to do a full episode on I, Tonya at some point, but it was everything that I wanted. I, I had such fun with it. Um, I also got to watch uh, Jim and Andy, the Andy Kaufman uh, documentary about Jim Carrey's time filming mm-hmm. that movie, which is on Netflix, and I seem to be in the minority of people that really didn't care for it. When it's about the making of a movie, it's really interesting. When it's just Jim Carrey going about as a quote-unquote method actor and uh, how his body was literally inhabited by Andy Kaufman's spirit, which just gives him leave to be a dick for two hours, for, for 90 minutes. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't a fan. I don't, I don't appreciate the whole male use of the method because it just allows you to be an asshole. So, but the, the MVP that I saw this week was I saw uh, BPM, oh. uh, Beats Per Minute, the, the French film about the AIDS crisis in the 90s. And it's two and a half hours but it is so good. It's not melodramatic. It's not like a preachy tale. It's just a really human story about this time in France during the early 1990s with the AIDS crisis and activism and relationships. And it's just really good. Um, so if you if you are fortunate to, to find a way to see it, you should definitely watch it. Cool. And uh, Lauren, how about you? Uh, I actually haven't been watching much. I, I went to the movie theater a couple of times. Saw Thor Ragnarok for the second time, uh, <laughs> which delightful. was it's it's just as much fun. Uh, but I actually got a chance to watch some of not the entire film yet, but some of um, John Cassavetes' first film, Shadows, uh, which I had never seen. And I actually am very I have a very limited experience of Cassavetes, which is. Unfortunate, and I realized a big gap in my film education because he's such an influential director and almost seems to have fallen off in as, as some, someone that people talk about. But he really is interesting. Shadows is very rough, very like, you know, it's, it's not hand, handheld camera, but it's very like on the street kind of filmmaking, but it's really interesting. And, and I've been enjoying that so far. So, yeah, watch some Cassavetes. Cool. All right. That Shadows is a great one. It's been years since I've seen that, but that is I remember that being absolutely stellar. I've it's never it's seen not it. I I expected it to be different than what it is, but what it is is very interesting. Cool. Kimberly, how about you? Uh catching up, haven't done too too much. Um couple of screeners um rewatched, finally got to rewatch Dunkirk um since this summer was really surprised I mean, that was one of my movies of the summer and it just broke my little heart how much it loses on the small screen but i still really enjoyed it caught us um have us caught the man who invented christmas last night um cute little i have that screener to watch I... sounds really excited Kristen. it, it was cute <laughs> it was very cute um I will watch pretty much anything Dan Stevens does. He's he's just has a little you know small little corner of my heart. So I will always I will always indulge that. Some good I mean fine perfectly fine serviceable Christmas movie. Other than that, been doing just a lot of Netflix, binging my way through The Punisher, Mindhunter, <laughs> complete. Um, find myself getting really obsessed with that. So just you know running the gamut on my end. Fun. Um, by the way, on the Dan Stevens note, did you know that he read the audiobook for Murder on the Orient Express and it's very delightful and that's I listened to that it was great (laughs) no I'm gonna have to get that now yeah yeah I got it on audible (laughs) so it's a lot of fun it was he does the accents really well I liked it so 
Um, all right. So let's see. This week I watched Coco, which we'll talk about more in a bit. And then after, la- let's see, last weekend I watched Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, which I had not seen yet. And oh. so I finally got around to watching that. And I, of course, it was great. I loved it. It was, I don't personally see it being, like, a lot of people have said it's the front runner for Best Picture. I don't personally see that. But we'll talk about that in a bit, too. But I, one funny thing did happen in my screening. There was, it was a lot of older people that were there. Mm-hmm. And um, so I wasn't sure how they were going to take the movie, you know. I wasn't sure what, if, uh, you know, there's just a lot of elements of it. I wasn't sure how they would feel about it. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene where she has the big uh, monologue with the priest when she gets home and the priest is there at her house. She has that huge oh, monologue great. scene and she just like unleashes moment. on him. And it's just this great moment. And there was this woman down in the front of the theater. As soon as McDormand is finished, she just goes really loud. I like her. <laughs> and it was so <laughs> funny. <laughs> it was great. It was perfect. So, yeah. So I enjoyed that. So, but that's pretty much all I saw this week because I was traveling and so I just didn't get a chance to watch much. But this week I've got like three screenings that I'm going to and a couple of other things I'm going to try to fit in. So it's going to be a lot busier for me, but let's see. But we did have, speaking of some of the films that we've all just mentioned and some other things, the Indie Spirit Awards were announced this week. Film Independent every year does the Independent Spirit Awards. They did they not they do the nominations really early but they don't actually present the awards until the day before the Oscars so there's a long period of time i think it's really just so they can assert themselves in the conversation but um Kristen why don't you give us a rundown of just a couple of the top so some of the big ones best feature was Call Me By Your Name, The Florida Project, Get Out, Lady Bird and The Rider which no one i know has heard of Apparently um, it played best at first feature NYSF. did you see it Learn? I did. I didn't get to see it, but it got very strong response from okay. uh, NYFF. It's a is it Argentine, something like that. <laughs> hmm. Best first feature nominees were for Columbus, Ingrid Goes West, Menashe, Oh Lucy, and Patty Cakes. Best director went to or nominees are Sean Baker for The Florida Project, Jonas Carpignano. I think that's Carpignano. how. I apologize if I don't Carpignano. For God, do you want me to pronounce this title? Because uh, I'm not going to. Uh, Siambra. Ah, uh, Siambra. I'm again. Apologies. Um, with with four names. Uh, Luca Guadagnino for Call Me by Your Name. Jordan Peele for Get Out. The Safdie Brothers for Good Time, and Chloe Zhao for The Writer. The the right the writer is a, a, a cowboy movie. I'm complete. I was completely wrong. Uh, it's after suffering a near fatal head injury, a young cowboy undertakes a search for a new identity and what it means to be a man. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. So right. It's supposed to be very good. Best Screenplay nominees are Greta Gerwig for Lady Bird, Azazel Jacobs for The Lovers, Martin McDonough for Three Billboards Outside Ebbing's Missouri, Jordan Peele for Get Out, and Mike White for Beatriz at Dinner. I'll go down to some of the uh, acting categories. Um, Best Male Lead nominees are Harris Dickinson for Beach Rats, Timothy Chalamet for Call Me By Your Name, Daniel Kalula for Get Out, Robert Pattinson for Good Time, and Karen's favorite performance, James Franco for The Disaster Artist. Um, (laughs) Best female lead nominees include Selma Hikepies at Dinner, Frances McDormand for Three Billboards, Margaret Tanya, Shersha Ronan for Lady Bird, 
Regina Williams for Life and Nothing More, and Shinobu Terajima for O Lucy. Best Supporting Male Nominees. Oh, gosh. I'm so going to butcher the person who was nominated for Crown Heights, so I'm not even going to try. I apologize. Uh, Army Hammer for Call Me By Your Name, Barry Keogh for The Killing of a Sacred Deer, Sam Rockwell. It's, I heard it's Keogh. We've been arguing. Terrence and I have been arguing about this for like two days. Is it? Is it? Is it? Ke- I've seen him in several interviews where they say Barry Keegan. Okay, we're gonna say we're gonna go with that. Barry Keegan for a killing of a sacred deer. Sam Rockwell for three billboards and Benny Safdie for Good Time and Best Supporting Female. Holly Hunter for The Big Sick. Allison Janney for I Tanya. Lori Metcalf for Lady Bird. Lois Smith for Marjorie Prime and Talia Lenny's Webster for Good Time. We should also mention that the Robert Altman Award went to, and this is not a nominee, this just straight up is the winner of the Robert Altman Award, Mudbound, which that award goes to the director, the casting directors, and the ensemble cast. Wow. Woo! That's great. Yeah. So, not a lot of surprise, I think. Yeah, I think that it's, I mean, I think it's a perfect representative of where people are in film right now because it's all over the place and i mean you will see that when we talk about oscar nods yeah well call me by your name is is the lead with six nominations overall get out is number two with five i think that it splits number two with good time which is like where did that even come from i know a lot of people a lot of film critics saw it early in the year but it never really did much once it got out to general audiences so I don't know. It's interesting. And then uh, there were some other, there were some noteworthy misses, I think, like Greta Gerwig not getting in for Best Director. Yeah. Which was, you know, surprising and and unfortunate. But, you know, I've talked about it with a couple of people. I personally think that actually helps propel her forward because it did seem like such an obvious miss. Anybody else feel that way? I, I, I don't. I mean, you guys probably know the the Oscar politics a lot better than I do. <laughs> it just seems very odd that, because Lady Bird did get quite a few nominations otherwise. It seems very odd to miss out on her, of all people. Yeah, it got four nominations overall, I think. Screenplay, feature, actress, and supporting actress. I, I, wonder, I wonder why. That's, it's just kind of an interesting thing. Yeah, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I don't have a big history with the Independent Spirit Awards. I don't follow them that closely. But I know that they tend to translate into Oscar nominations for a lot of things, not necessarily wins. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. See, I was going to say perhaps because she's a first-timer, but then Jordan Peele's in there, right? And And she's not officially a first-timer. True. This, well, one and a half, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Kind yeah. Of, yeah. Yeah. So it could be a maybe she split. Maybe people were voting for her for first feature and and it kind of split itself. That's possible because you can't be nominated in both categories. It's one or the other. So. Huh. Oh yeah. Mhm. Yeah. Kristen, any thoughts? You know, I mean, the indie spirits. I I think most people see them as kind of a a prognosticator, but not a lot of. I guess, you know, overlap with, with Oscar. And, you know, the thing the thing I always... I, indie Spirits always help give me a frame of reference. But this year is weird. Because I think we're going to see a lot of overlap with certain things. I don't know. It's possible, yeah. It's, it's really... I'm not sure. There are a couple of noteworthy inclusions that I think 
do help propel people toward a possible Oscar nomination, such as Holly Hunter for The Big Sick. Right. When that mm-hmm. came out in June, a lot of people were like, oh, she's getting an Oscar nomination for this. And I was one of the people that was saying, nope, I don't think so. But this definitely, I think, helps keep her in the spotlight. And I think it does help draw attention to her. And it does make it possible. I mean, there is definitely an avenue for her to get in for supporting actress. So, all right. Any other thoughts about the Spirit Award nominations? The awards are officially starting. It's true. It's <laughs> happening. This week, we've got the... Uh, National Board of Review is announcing their choices. You've got, I think, LA Film Critics is picking theirs. There are like three or four that are coming up in the next week or two, so it's crazy. So, all right, well, while we're on the subject, let's just move into our own personal um, predictions for Oscar. And so we've all got some of our favorites and some of the ones that we think are likely to get in. Let's start with the screenplays. Let's start with adapted screenplay. Kimberly, who do you have an adapted screenplay? The screenplay ones were tough for me. So, well, I have Call Me By Your Name, The Disaster Artist, Mudbound, The Beguiled, and Molly's Game. Good choices. Lauren? Uh, I have literally the same ones. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. All right, how about you, Kristen? I have four out of the five. I could not find a five slot. So I, and I, as much as I love The Beguiled so much, I just, I don't see people going for it. It came out so early in the year, and even though they're doing, um, you know, this big full-court press for it, I just don't see them giving it a nod for Adapted because I, I don't know whether it's Coppola's influence or the fact that there are still people who kind of criticize how it plays opposite the original film. So I went with Victoria and Abdul. Oh, I would love to see that happen. I actually quite enjoyed that film. Something pleasant that like the older Academy members would go for, directed by Stephen Mm -hmm. Frears. They liked Florence Foster Jenkins the year before. So, you know, I think I think the five slot, I mean, the first four seem pretty solid. Adapted screenplay is not a strong category this year. So I think that anything in the five is going to be something out of left field. Well, I think there are three strong likely mm-hmm. nominees. And then I think there are a couple of, of open spots there. I think Call Me By Your Name, Mudbound, and Disaster Artist are all pretty safe bets. The other two spots, I think, can go... A lot of different directions and none of them are particularly strong so those are three of the ones that i have i also have molly's game and then sorry kristen but the one that i actually threw in too just because of the buzz it's been getting is wonder that's people fucking are loving that. that that is getting real that's getting some real buzz it i've is. noticed well That'll give me more of uh, my griping on the history of disability in film for the next couple of months then. There you go. I mean, Wonder just seems to be such a, it looks like an Oscar bait film. I mean, you look at it, you look at the cast, you look at the story, everything. It's just like, oh, this is, this is like classic Oscar bait almost. Yes, but don't tell that to white male critics who say that Oscar bait doesn't exist. Right. Oh, yeah. that's such uh, Yeah, exactly. That's exactly why I respond. But that's exactly why I think Wonder will probably slip in. I think it'll be a film that people want to reward, and really the only place for it is going to be in a screenplay nomination. So, so that's where I put it. So let's move on to original screenplay. And Lauren, why don't you start us off this time? Uh, I've really only got two, Get Out and Lady Bird. Hmm. 
Okay. Uh, those, those are oh, the only sorry. two that, that like, well, part of it is that I also have not seen everything yeah. yet. So like, I haven't seen the disaster artist, even though I can make assumptions. So there, there are quite a, there are quite a lot of films that I just haven't, haven't had the opportunity to watch. So I don't feel like I can say, yes, this will definitely get a nomination. Mm-hmm. Okay. Kristen, how about you? Original screenplay seemed easier for me because it seems like there are at least, again, four sure bets for the most part. One of you guys could say that one of them isn't a sure bet. Uh, Lady Bird, Three Billboards, Darkest Hour, and Get Out. And then for the five slot, I did Shape of Water. I don't see... People keep saying Shape of Water is going to make this dramatic comeback, and I, I don't see that happening, but I have it for screenplay. Well, it's coming out in theaters this week, so it's, right. it really hasn't gone anywhere. Finally. It just hasn't been out yet. It just feels like every critic has seen it at this point. I, I, I think that's my thing, because it's been slowly... It's played at almost every major festival, I think. So yeah, Except I just... Except for New York Film Festival. It just feels like it's been around, <laughs> and we keep saying, like, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. So I don't know. Either it's going to, it's gonna you know, explode, or it's just going to fizzle. Well, yeah, no, I get where you're coming with that. I just, I think that the reason the buzz keeps ebbing and flowing is because someone will see it at a film festival, they'll talk about it again, and then it'll kind of die out as other things come out. But now it's coming out in theaters, so now audiences are going to see it. Everyone who didn't get to see it at festivals will get to see it. And I think that yeah. that will be, I think in the next two weeks, will really tell us if it's a player for sure or not. So, uh, Kimberly, That's what do you think? It's just so exhausting. Oh about the yeah. way that that they roll things like like shape of the water out because i i mean we've been hearing about it for months mm-hmm. and you know only certain people have gotten to see it because if you were at the festivals you got to see it if not then nothing like i thought that it had come and gone in theaters and i was like did i miss it and now i found <laughs> out that not that long ago that it's it's finally gonna, gonna be released as an actual film that re- that regular people can watch yeah, that's one of the that's one of the trying things though about covering film is that we hear about things for so long, and you know a lot of people in the general public haven't even heard about it. So it's like yeah. I've been hearing about this for months and even maybe a year, but you know other people haven't at all. They don't even know that it exists. So it's kind of a weird a weird position that we're in. But Kimberly, what do you got? I had three of the same as everybody else ladybird get out and three billboards i threw in two more which you know are more of me crossing my fingers and i think they're out outside kind of dark horses but i'd love to see it uh the big sick and battle of the sexes cool battle of the sexes is one that got a lot of buzz and then everybody seemed to stop talking about it they it came out i think september just if it would have peaked a bit later i bet it could have yeah ran the course but it was just too early Mm mm-hmm yeah, absolutely. Uh, mine are, some of these are the ones we've talked about. Lady Bird and Three Billboards I have in. I have The Shape of Water. I also have Darkest Hour. And I just can't convince myself that Get Out's going to get in. Although I do see the tide turning toward Get Out. But I actually have Itania in there instead. So I would um, love that. Yeah. That screenplay is just so well done. And it's something that a lot of people really enjoy. I feel like Get Out is still too divisive, and it still falls into the genre issue. So, I don't know. We'll see. There definitely does seem seem to be a swing toward Jordan Peele and toward Get Out, but mm-hmm. I don't know. So, okay, let's move into Best Supporting Actress. And Kristen, why don't you start this one? So, this one kind of has uh, a couple front runners. Uh, I obviously have Laurie Metcalf for Lady Bird. Allison Janney for I, Tanya, 
Kristen Scott Thomas for Darkest Hour. And then I have two possibilities. Uh, I have Leslie Manville for Phantom Thread. And then I have Holly Hunter for The Big Sick. You know, supporting actress is fairly easy to deduce um, because they either go for the ingenue or the older actress that's got their due, you know, that there's this narrative for. And it, it's usually mm. like clockwork. And this year, if you look at the, the, the heavy hitters, it would all be actresses um, over, you know, 30 who should have more words than they have. So I, I think Holly Hunter fits right in there. Leslie Manville, I think, would be kind of the hot young thing, like the, the Alicia Vikander type of um, nominee. But I, I, if this comes to pass, I really like this sleep. <laughs> cool. Uh, Kimberly, what do you got? Almost the same list. Uh, Laurie Metcalf, Lady Bird, Allison Janney, Holly Hunter, Kristen Scott Thomas. And then, it, sure, I could not think of a fifth one. And I threw in, just because I really like the performance, Rosamund Pike for, the, for Hostels. Oh, yeah, she's really good. She is good. I like her. Lauren, how about you? Again, I think that we're all largely in agreement. I also just wanted to toss, because I, I don't honestly think that she's going to get a nomination, but I want her to. Kirsten Dunstan in uh, The Begotten. Oh, God, I would love for that to happen. That was uh, another outside choice that I had, too. Yeah, her, her performance is just so good in that film. And I think that, I mean, everybody is very good in that film, but she's just, she found something deeper in herself or, or in the part that just she really brought out brilliantly. And I, you know, I don't, I think that's a, it's a long shot, but I would still love to see her nominated. Yeah, it, it would be great because she's, she's wonderful. I love her, but mine are a little bit different. I've got, of course, Laurie Metcalf, Allison Janney, and Kristen Scott Thomas, but my other two slots went to two ladies that have, in their own ways, different hurdles to kind of get over, but I think if their films are going to be nominated, these are the spots that it will happen. One is Mary J. Blige for Mudbound, because, I mean, people are putting all of the focus from that film on her performance, and I think that there's a desire to want to reward Mudbound because it's so great but there's also still that Netflix problem which uh -huh. you know it's it shouldn't be especially with the you know with the the truth about why it's on Netflix it shouldn't be such a hurdle but it you know it still is and then the other person I have is someone who I think is just doing all the right things and keeping herself in the spotlight in just the right way that I think she can sneak in there with a, a nomination that will surprise a lot of people and that is Tiffany Haddish for Girl's Trip. You know, mm. I keep hearing that that's a possibility, and I just, I can't see it, but maybe I should. I haven't seen the movie, so. I haven't either, but I feel like just from the, the things that I'm hearing about it and the way that she's out where she needs to be, I feel like she could Melissa McCarthy bridesmaids her way into this, you know, <laughs> into this lineup. I really do. I see it. I see a possibility for that, so. Uh, okay, so let's go into supporting actor, and I will start off with this one. I have Sam Rockwell and and Woody Harrelson both for three billboards. That would be if they both got in. That would be the first time that two supporting actors have made it into the lineup together since Bugsy in 1991. Wow. So, but it could happen. Uh, I also have Army Hammer, Richard Jenkins, and Stephen Delane. So, uh, Lauren, what do you have? I've also got Rockwell, even though I haven't seen the film yet. Um, I've got Army Hammer, Michael Stolberg. And uh, again, 
I kind of just want to see him nominated, Garrett Hedlund, just because I really liked him in that film. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Mudbound, again, it's... I think my, my tendency with Oscar picks is to be like, but I really liked him. You should give him an award. <laughs> I know. So, yeah, I would love to see Michael Stolberg um, get a nomination and, and win because he really is so spectacular in Call Me By Your Name. He is. He's great. So he's just he's just one of those people that's always really solid. He always does good work no matter what the film is and no matter the size of his role. And so I wouldn't be upset if he found himself in there. Um, Kristen, how about you? So uh, much like Lauren and and much like Karen is, have said, you know, I have two actors from the same movie in supporting. Um, I have Army Hammer and Michael Stuhlbarg for Call Me By Your Name, um, mostly because I, I can't not nominate like my future husband. Um, so uh, I got to throw that in there. Um, but but I, I'm pretty sure that if both get in, then neither will win. So that, that kind of pains me. Yeah. I have Michael Shannon. For the Shape of Water, uh, Sam Rockwell as well, and Willem Dafoe for the Florida Project. I actually just took Dafoe out this week. Ooh, okay. Well, yeah. I'm, I'll keep him for now. Well, he's definitely a safe bet, and he did get a Spirit Award nomination. And I mean, he's people like him. I just I feel now that I've actually well, I guess I saw it a couple weeks ago, but now that I've seen other films too that have you know good supporting performances, I just think that. There's just not enough there for him. I think there are other people that have stronger performances in films that feel more like awards winners and players, I guess. But I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Kimberly, how about you? Um, I have very similar top three. I went Rockwell, Army Hammer, and then with Call Me By Your Name, Stolbarg, and Army Hammer potentially dangerously splitting the vote. I threw in Defoe, and then my... One couldn't think of a fifth spot to my sentimental pick, Ray Romano, the big sick. I just thought he, like you said in another performance, somebody, he just found something new. He was truly one of the unsung heroes of that film for me. And I just, I praised him when the review came out. I just want to see him get it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, and honestly, I think that other than just the fact that Defoe's been around for so long, I feel like Romano had a, you know, more... More to give, I think, and more to praise than Defoe did. Defoe was just, Mm -hmm. he was a steady force in the film, but he doesn't have any sort of an arc. He's just kind of there to chase the kids out of trouble, you know, a lot of times. So, whereas Romano, he has some really moving moments in that film. Okay, let's move on to Best Actress. And Kimberly, why don't you start us off here? Fairly easy list, with the exception of one. I'm thinking I'm probably going to make one cut. Um, Meryl Streep, The Post... Shersa Ronan, Lady Bird, Frances McDormand, Three Billboards, Margot Robbie, I, Tanya, and probably Kristen Scott Thomas for The Darkest Hour. I still have Emma, Emma Stone written down, but I just don't think it's going to happen now. Okay. Lauren, how about you? Pretty much everybody that she just said, only I do have Emma Stone. Again, I am terrible at this sort of thing. So it's more like, well, she will probably get a nomination just because she always seems to. And and her, her performance was very highly praised. So... Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be you know there's always with these nods there's always someone that like comes out of left field and yeah. I I kind of wonder that like you know last last year was such a such a surprise when um when Moonlight took home best picture so I kind of wonder whether there's a shift going on at the Oscars right now well and we've got 1700 new voters that are a lot more diverse and we don't know what they're gonna do so mm-hmm 
yeah, there's a lot there's a lot of potential there. Kristen, what do you got? Um, I have the same as mostly everybody else, except I have Jessica Chastain from Molly's Game. Oh. Yep. She's good. She's good. She's definitely good. I have Streep, Robbie McDormand, and Ronan. I actually have Sally Hawkins in that last spot for The Shape I of Water. almost Ooh. put Sally Hawkins down. Yeah, she's just the, the buzz around her. And the fact that she was also in another movie that for some reason people liked earlier this year, Maudie. I think that it just kind of helps. And she's she's been really solid for several years. It, it just it builds a narrative toward her winning, especially if she's as good in this film as everyone says she is. So, so um, okay, best actor, Lauren. I only have three right now. <laughs> okay, who do you got? James, James Franco, Gary Oldman, and Timothy Chalamet. All right, and Kristen? I have those three alongside Tom Hanks for The Post and Daniel Day-Lewis for Phantom Thread. Yeah, and Kimberly. Exactly the same list. Hanks, Chalamet, Franco, Oldman, and Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> yeah, actor yep, is, actor is pretty too. cut and dry, I think, for the most part. It seems it to be. It feels like it is, yeah. Yeah. I think the post will have to just completely fall on his face for Hanks not to get in at this point. At least I hope. <laughs> so... I think the Chalamet one is still a little bit in question. A lot of people, prognosticators, have Jake Gyllenhaal. Sorry, Kristen. God, why is this your cripple inspiration year? (sighs) I know. I know. I love love Gyllenhaal, but, like, stop rewarding this narrative. And see, I don't even love him, so it's really frustrating. <laughs> but see, I, no, um, that's that's where I'm at. It's like I don't love him, and Chalamet's performance was just so good. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially if you sit through the credits. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'm just I'm gonna assume there are Oscar voters listening. Okay, Oscar voters, if you're listening, mm-hmm. dump the cripple and go with Chalamet. Like that's, and I'm allowed <laughs> to say that because I myself am handicapped, so I can say that. I and can say that. He's a fake anyway, cripple anyway. So. And yeah, no, don't get that Jacob Tremblay bullshit in there either. Okay, fake handicappers do not help us. <laughs> exactly. God, I'm gonna have exactly. to make a hashtag. But it's so inspirational. <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <sighs> and you know, just a sidebar, critics. If you need to use the word inspirational in your review of these movies, <laughs> you need to prepare for me to verbally bitch smack you. Stop it. Just take it out of the vocabulary. <laughs> This has yep. been a PSA. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And, okay, so, Kristen, why don't you talk about Best Director? Okay. Best Director is really, again, weird. Um, because you tend to want to go with what is Best Picture because the split is rare. Even though it's happened recently, it's not regular. So um, I went with as many of the movies that I figured would be in picture as I possibly could. So uh, I went Christopher Nolan for Dunkirk, Greta Gerwig for Lady Bird, Steven Spielberg for The Post, Joe Wright for Darkest Hour, and Paul Thomas Anderson for Phantom Thread. As much as I wanted to put Luca Guadagnino uh, or D. Rees, I just don't see that happening. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a tough road for them, so. Uh, Kimberly? Uh, four of the five, or well, actually three of the five, I guess. I had Nolan for Dunkirk, Greta Gerwig, Lady Bird, Steven Spielberg for The Post. And then I, I put Guadagnino in there for Call Me By Your Name, and then Craig Gillespie for I, Tonya. Oh, that's an outsider. That I mean, <laughs> yeah. I love it. I yeah. love it. But that is, that's an outside choice. I'm going, I'm staking. There are I'm no wrong it. answers at this point. Claim. 
You got to go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Bold predictions. I like it. Uh, Lauren, what do you got? Uh, I do actually have Guadagnino in there. Um, and I have D Reese just because, again, I really want to see them get nominated. I want to I want to see good good directors being rewarded, not just the old... Like Spielberg, I don't care. I, I don't care how good the post is. It, that's, I'm certain that it's a good film, but... I'm so I'm bored with all of these with all of these old white dude directors. I just you know give me something different. And I also I know it's uh, again an outsider, but Sofia Coppola for the beginning. Oh, uh, I would love my girl to get a nod, but I don't see it happening. But I would love it so fucking much because I love her. <laughs> this everything all of most of my predictions are just like, but they really should. Yes, yes, <laughs> they deserve yeah. it. I would be the worst Oscar voter because I would just like nominate people that have like said hi to me in passing. <laughs> <laughs> but he's really You're nice. Like, well, this guy so. has nice exactly. Hairs. Oh yeah, Timothy Chalamet <laughs> would like win every award. He would just be nominated for everything because of his hair. Because his hair is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would just have, like, Sofia Coppola nominated in every slot. Every, like, five slots for Best Director. Because she's awesome. <laughs> well, mine are a little bit different. I do have Joe Wright for A Darkest Hour. I have Steven Spielberg for The Post. I have Guillermo del Toro for The Shape of Water. Ooh. That's not that's not a weird choice, but... Martin, no. I have Martin McDonough for Three Billboards. And I have Miss Greta Gerwig for Lady Bird. I would love to see her get in for that. I think that'd be awesome. So, all right. And that brings us to Best Picture. And I'm going to start this one off. And I didn't even plan it that way. So, <laughs> I've got Lady Bird, Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, Three Billboards, The Shape of Water, The Disaster Artist, Call Me By Your Name, The Post, and I. How many is that? You have I have nine. nine. Okay. It's been a long time since they've actually had ten nominees. So, But you guys can say however many you have. If you have I, ten, I am weird because I... It's why I say this year is very odd because we there's no like big critical consensus on a lot of movies. You know, there's not a steamroller like mm-hmm. there has been in, in years past. And I think I hate to say it, sure. I think a lot of that has to do with the election and just like the malaise that has kind of settled on this year. So I only see them nominating six. I see them going small this year. So I have I have Dunkirk. Lady Bird, Darkest Hour, The Post, Phantom Thread, and Call Me By Your Name. I could, you know, I, I think uh, several of the ones Karen mentioned, like Three Billboards, uh, something like Shape of Water, they could get in, but these feel like very Oscar, I, I feel them going safe this year for some reason, and I, I don't know why, but I could only conjure up six where I really felt like that's a possibility. That's interesting, because I actually went the complete opposite way of thinking, because I think there's just not a consensus around any particular film, so it's going to split the vote True, that could more that could happen as well. Area. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Kimberly, who do you have? Uh, I, ha- I, I wrote out a full 10, so we'll, you know, we'll see what Great. happens. Um, I have Call Me By Your Name, I, Tanya, Lady Bird, Dunkirk, The Post, uh, the Disaster Artist, Phantom Thread, Three Billboards, Darkest Hour, and then The Big Sick and Get Out for the, you know, the genre early year love. Cool. And Lauren? I've got all of the same ones. The two the two big outliers are, for me, are Get Out and um, and The Florida Project. Again, it's those, you, you get into the genre films, you get into the very, the smaller films and everything, and I don't, I don't expect them necessarily to get nominated. I would love to see Get Out get a nomination i think that that would be awesome 
Yeah, it's fun. It's Get Out is one of those films that I wasn't head over heels for it, so people think I like hated it, <laughs> which is so annoying because I didn't. I liked it. I think it's a good movie. I've never seen it as a Best Picture nominee because of the genre thing, but I think if a genre film is going to get into that category, it's going to probably be Get Out. Yeah. Um, so do I definitely do like we see, see do we see a return to Oscar so white this year? Not in my predictions. There. I was thinking that last. I was looking at my acting categories, going, "God, this is." A yeah, I was going to say, "I, I see, yeah. I see it going back to that." My lead performance is yes, but I've got you know I've got Mary J. Blige and Tiffany Haddish in supporting, and then Guillermo del Toro in director. So there's a little bit of mix up there. See, I, I'm crossing my fingers for Oscars so male, and you know, throwing the love out to Gerwig and such. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be nice to see. It just. It's still such a it's such a white man dominated industry, and so many of the films you know are already saying like oh the post definitely and it has anyone actually seen the post? It, there is a lengthy embargo on it, but yes, <laughs> it lifts social media lifts like I think at midnight or tomorrow morning or something. Oh, see, they haven't even to told us that. Reactions. My, my people had told me until further notice. <laughs> okay, yeah, um, Clayton said that. He got an he got an email or something that they're allowed to start giving social media reactions either tonight or tomorrow morning, and then full reviews are still under embargo until I think like two weeks or something. So because we're not getting it in Denver until January, I think. Oh wow, interesting. Yeah, we're I'm getting just, it in LA in December, but I was just the the, the politicking of these kinds of things can be so maddening for anyone. Like, so I'm very often on the, on the kind of peripheries. I get, I get a lot of, I get the screeners for the smaller films, but I don't tend to get things for like the post. And so you're sitting around like listening to all these people talking about how wonderful the film is or how terrible it is. And before anyone in the general public actually has gotten to see it. Um, I had the same experience with Dunkirk. Every single critic I knew had seen Dunkirk and I just had not gotten to see it. And then I went in and was like, ooh, I'm really excited. Oh, this is going to be the greatest. And I was very underwhelmed by it in a lot Thank of ways. Thank you, because I thought um, I was the only person that did not love Dunkirk. I, I, I loved I, it. I, I loved it, yeah. <laughs> it's a good film. I have so many diverse problems. Uh, yeah, I have, I have. I I mean, it's it's worth a watch. But yeah, I, I have issues. Um, but that that could be reserved for for another Oscar show. <laughs> yeah, but but it's just the... the the critical reaction then begins to shape, you know, for me at least, the way the, that I expect to react to certain films. And after a while, like, by the time I actually got to see Dunkirk, it had already gone through the, it's the greatest film ever made, it's the worst film ever made, it's okay, it's mediocre, and then I got to see it. <laughs> yeah. And, and that, that whole trajectory is very, and it's the way that, that studios market things, and it's the way that they release them, but... So, you know, The Post is getting all of this buzz. It's it's already being like, oh, yeah, it's definitely going to be on the list. Why? You know, because it's Spielberg? Because it's Streep and Hanks? I mean, is that just, is that basically the, what we've come down to now? I can give my opinions <laughs> as soon as they let me. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and we should put out, we will come back to Oscar nods and revisions. We'll have another, I'm assuming, after, after oh, yeah. Golden Globes. Because that's when, well, uh, unless, unless yeah. Karen wants to do a... a check in before that we'll, we'll do some things over the next few weeks and you know we've got three and a half months still till oscars so yeah we have golden golden globes uh golden globes january 5th i think in case you were were curious because i saw the first uh 
first commercial for it yesterday, so. They're that early yeah. this year? That seems really Yeah, early. January 5th. Huh. And I think Oscars okay. are March cool. 4th. March yeah. 4th, yeah. And we will finally answer the question, is Get Out a comedy? Well, we've already, <laughs> I think they've already decided that. Well, the Globes well, have decided yeah. that. And then Jordan Peele pretended to be mad about it. And so that <laughs> sparked a whole lot of <laughs> debate. So. No one else has decided. Only the Globes have decided that yeah, Get Out is exactly. a comedy. Yeah, in, all, in all honesty, didn't the Globes make The Martian a comedy? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the comedy is the throwaway spot. It's we don't know what to do with this. So okay, but, you're a comedy well, musical. But here's the thing, though: people have been predicting Get Out to get into the comedy category for months, and when they finally say, "Yeah, it's going to go in in comedy," then people are mad about it. <laughs> it's like, but I, this but is I not think that's new the information. Point. People are predicting that it's going to get into comedy because it's not going to be treated seriously as a drama. It's the the right. comedy is for the genre categories that they want to give some love to but don't you know they don't think of as highly as the post and phantom thread yeah it's true so but we will have lots of time to talk about oscars and where things should be and golden globes and all that stuff over the next few weeks and actually this is my favorite time of year i love talking about all the stuff it's great so but um let's move into everybody saw coco yes all right, no. let's. You didn't see Coco? I didn't see Coco because I am right now in upstate New York, and upstate New York does not get screeners for anything. Oh, man, that's rough. I'm so sorry. So, so I will just jump in with my commentary about idiot male critics later on. Okay, well, yeah, <laughs> we will do that. I saw it twice, actually, so I saw it for you. <laughs> so, Aw, Kristen, yay. <laughs> Kristen, did you see uh, I did, yes. Okay. Cool. So uh, let's just spend a few minutes talking about that because I'm sure we've got a lot to say about it. Kimberly, why don't you start off? What were your thoughts about Coco? I it loved it, loved it, loved it. It broke. It broke me. It broke my screening. I mean, not going into any you know spoilers or anything, but by the time those ending credits rolled, you just in the screening I was at, there were just sobs echoing throughout the building. Mm-hmm. Um, I just beautiful in every stretch from visually to narratively i thought the message within the narrative about not forgetting you know your relatives and your ancestors that hit me particularly hard because i know i'm an amateur genealogist in my spare time and i had a great grandfather who was absentee and kind of had abandoned my you know infant grandson in the 1920s and you know, searching, you know, we had spent 20 years searching for answers on why that happened. And if you haven't, if you've seen the film, it makes sense, but it was a very powerful moving narrative for me in particular. And I just, I wasn't sure what to expect walking into it and absolutely loved everything about it. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I'm going to just back up for a second and just want to just kind of catch everybody up. Coco is the new Disney Pixar film you don't already know about that the basic plot summary is aspiring musician miguel confronted with his family's ancestral ban on music enters the land of the dead to work out the mystery and it was directed by lee unkrich and adrian molina and it stars all kinds of people including gail garcia bernal benjamin bratt um I was so excited to hear Jaime Camel from Jane the Virgin. Uh, so Jane good. the Virgin. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, that's Rogelio. <laughs> so, and Anthony Gonzalez voices 12-year-old Miguel. So, 
Uh, Kristen, what were your thoughts? I really, really enjoyed this. I think this is a, a real return to form for Pixar. You you would not be uh, ashamed if you forgot that Pixar had another movie that they released this year. They released Cars 3, which was awful. Um, and I've seen it, and I can say it's awful. Um, and this is, this is a real return to form. Um, it doesn't feel like a cash grab. It doesn't feel like they're, they're trying to market toys. They're telling a real story. And the Pixar movies that always stick with me are the ones that look at, you know, humanity through this grand adventure. And this doesn't have, I think, the emotional weight of something like Up, but it has this really great story about, you know, history and heritage and life and death. You know, I'm, I'm a, you know, lapsed Catholic. And so I, I'm really interested in films that portray the afterlife and how they handle that. And this is a movie that is a very positive depiction of like what happens after you die which I, I think is really good for children to see you know because I, I think they say that children get a grasp on like like death at the age of five and so you know if you if you're trying to have this like weird conversation about mortality with your children Coco is a really great example of of, of that and I love the voice cast um I think that it, the music probably was the big letdown for me this is Pixar's first foray into musicals and even though they have the the composers for Frozen the music just wasn't that memorable to me um I don't think children are going to be singing you know Poco Loco like they were singing Let It Go and even though the music is great for the film it just didn't have you could see that Pixar didn't really know what to do with it um they didn't really know what to do with a musical so they're they're learning in that regard um but overall i loved it and i'm so glad that i didn't have to go see the short that was in front of the, well i went to the press screening so they didn't show the frozen short which apparently thank god because i guess it's awful uh, i hadn't heard it's anything not awful, Is but it it's bad? not great i actually saw it and it's very clear that it was originally supposed to be their holiday television special like they've done with treehouse of horror and all these other things and it very clearly was supposed to be that. I don't know why they decided to put it in theaters. Some people have speculated that it was because they didn't think Coco itself would be enough of a draw, and they were trying to tie in with Frozen, and, and I, I don't know. That could be true. I'm not sure. It's not awful, but it's very clearly not... Um, it do, it was not given the you know approximate budget consideration that like the feature film was given. There are very definite parts where it's like... That looks really cheap. Well, I think you can also say that about Frozen Frozen Fever, too. Yeah. Yeah, but I think that one worked a lot better. Probably partly because it was seven minutes long instead of 21 minutes long. Oh, my God. So, yeah. But, I mean, it wasn't awful, but it definitely was like, uh, they really should have gone a different direction on this, I think. But, yeah, Coco just, I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it start to finish. I personally did quite enjoy the music, and I was like, I want to download this soundtrack. It's been a long time since I've wanted to download a, you know, musical soundtrack for anything, but I I really liked it. I liked, I, it was really nice to see a culture that is not normally front and center in a film and has never been front and center in a Disney film, you know, and I love the fact that Coco is now the highest grossing film in Mexican theater history. I think that is awesome. Yeah, yeah. I just read and... on I read on Variety this morning. It's getting ready to eclipse like the entire taking of Avengers in Mexico. It's mm-hmm. stellar. Wow. Yeah, 
It's huge, and it's funny because, well, it's maddening because I've seen a bunch of people say like, oh, well, it's, you know, it's, it's not really showing the culture very well, it's not a good depiction, all this, whereas the people who actually are living that are like, yeah, this is perfect, this is, this is what it is, you know, and... Well, most so. of the guys, most of the people that are saying that, at least from what I've seen, have been white men. White male mm-hmm. critics, yep. Not actual, you know, people who come from that culture, not Mexican-Americans. Exactly. And, and in fact, there was a huge, there's a thing on Twitter about the fact that most of the high-profile sites and publications had white men reviewing Coco mm-hmm. and had no uh, Latinx critics at all. Right. In dealing with publications, I think there was one, and it was in San Francisco. I think that's it. So, yeah, uh, and that's that's ludicrous because then the the response seems to be like, oh, this doesn't properly represent the culture, and all of the Mexican Americans and Mexican critics are like, actually, it does, um, right. and we know because that's our culture, by the way. Right. Well, it's like what I was seeing this morning or last night with some people that were attacking Paul Feig for Ghostbusters and saying it's not feminist enough, and I'm like. You men are sitting there telling us what is supposed to be a good representation of women. Like, shut up. Yeah, and it's the, way, the same thing here. It's it's the white male perspective as the default perspective, and exactly, and and white splaining and mansplaining to to the very people that that this film is actually representing or trying to appeal to. Mm-hmm. And I mean, some of the weirdest criticisms of Cro- of Coco that I've seen have one of the weirdest ones was, and I will not say who it was, but you can figure it out pretty easily was that the film felt too relatable to him. And so that meant it wasn't authentic to the culture. <laughs> yeah, I saw that one too. I was like, well, oh. And, and that's, that, that's strange. That's really <laughs> worth pointing out because, and not to get on my own soapbox, but you know, you look at how something like disability is portrayed in cinema and the concept that you know, disabled people live such a different other life from you regular normie people. Um, like, there is nothing mm-hmm. relatable. And and my argument always is, is like, don't tell me a story about some, some white male dude who was hobbled late in life and how, like, he overcame that. Show the minutia of, like, being disabled, because it's very relatable when you really look at it. And so I, I love how relatability it becomes this weird thing when you're talking about quote unquote the other who which is not white yeah. you know straight men right yeah well and that that's exactly right and we have so much of you think if something's different then that means it's completely totally different and it's something that i can't understand and that's completely false it's, and it's ridiculous and it's part of what perpetuates the stereotypes and the you know the issues that we have and the you know well it, it, it's such a it's such an incredibly narrow perspective and it's it's yeah it's that belief that um you know unless it's white male and straight then white straight men are not going to be able to relate to it and i i mean maybe it's just that women women and other minorities at least in this country are conditioned to be able to relate to things that do not exactly represent it goes back to that old adage you know men will only go see movies about men but women will go see anything Right. But what I find really weird is that a lot of these guys, and if you're if we're talking specifically about certain male critics, is that they're also they're the same people who like really tout stuff like Kurosawa films. And you're like, okay, wait a minute, you're you're a white American guy who grew up in like you know middle class America, but you can relate to 1950s Japan, right? 
so like so there's there's a weird disconnect going on there but it seems to be that as soon as you begin talking about cultures that are historically marginalized in the United States so Mexican American culture Mexican culture women um African Americans etc disabled people uh suddenly it's like oh well, I can't it it's it's too it has to be more foreign because it's so different from me and it's a very weird stereotyping racist sexist thing yeah well i think coco you know to bring it back around to coco is really necessary right now you know as as a country we need we need to see a movie about a a family and and dealing with you know life and death there's a really funny like border crossing joke in this movie that i think (laughs) is very pertinent in terms of showcasing like how accepting everybody is in this in this story and i love how the trailers for this aren't really spoiling the plot of the movie you know if you think that the plot of the movie is just miguel going to the land of the dead and trying to get out that's not the plot of the film at all which i appreciate it's really not i'm trying to think of i think how did we all feel and without spoiling it there's a third act twist that i don't know if i really bought I actually saw it coming a mile away and I was totally happy with it because where I thought the end was going, I was not thrilled about. And if it had been not a Disney movie, I would have probably felt differently, but this is Disney and they have to wrap things up with a neat and tidy bow. And so for that reason, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm totally okay with it, it this. It felt a little too Burton for me. I think that was the thing that I, I kept bringing up. Really? Yeah. Um, not to, I don't know if it's necessarily a spoiler to say, it felt like Corpse Bride a little bit. I can see where you're coming um, from. It wasn't that. bad. I just was like, oh, God, we're taking, like, a detour here, aren't we? That was, yeah, that was one of the things about it. And we have to throw out, like, the voice cast for this movie. It's really good. I, I'm Disney is one of those, I was just talking about this with Jungle Book, you know, Disney gets really complacent with hiring name stars to play these characters when you don't necessarily need to. And I loved that I couldn't really recognize a lot of voices. Like, Jaime Camille is obvious. You know, Benjamin Bratt I knew was in this, and his voice is evident. But everybody else, it was about the performance first. Yeah. Well, Benjamin Bratt's voice, it's like, when you know it's him, it's it's pretty obvious. But even then, it doesn't just straight up sound like And it's perfectly suited to the character. Like, I hate with animated movies where you're playing a game of, like, I know that voice, and it, it distracts from the film. You know, um, right. none of them, none of that happened here, which I, pre- again, appreciated. Yeah. See, well I done. thought, I, I have to shout out Gael Garcia Bernal, I thought was amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was really good. He, he was, was really good. So do we see this as the animated feature frontrunner? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. I would, I would say, yeah. yeah. I, I think it's been a while somebody was talking, you know, about, oh, Pixar isn't in the good graces of the Academy of late. And I think that that's because if you look at a lot of the films they've been putting out over the last couple of years, they felt they've kind of become complacent with marketing and merchandise and sequelitis. So, you know, of course they haven't been winning the awards. You know, I, I think the Academy isn't just blindly going to give them something. But this, I, I can't stress it enough. It feels like a return to what made Pixar good in the first place. Exactly. Let yeah. less cars through. Yes, more less of this. Monsters University <laughs> and more this. As much as Cars 3, 
I went, I went for the army hammer. He's in it, in case you were curious. But yeah, as, as much <laughs> as I hated that movie, like I want, I want good stuff. So co- more Coco, please. Yeah, I mean, their last good film really was Inside Out. That was two yeah. years ago. Yeah. And before that, it was Toy Story three, which was you know five years before that. So that's the thing about Pixar is it always feels like they're gonna hit it out of the park, and they often don't. They've got a lot of weak weak films in their lineup. You've got Finding Dory, The Good Dinosaur, Monsters University, Brave, like we could spend a whole episode talking about how much I hate that movie, but Oh, I will fight you. <laughs> I will fight you come over here. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, they're not they're not all like just sewn up like, oh, this Pixar movie's out, it's gonna win. But I think that Coco probably will win Best Animated Feature. And it will be, I will feel okay with the fact that it wins. I won't be like, ugh, yeah, they just checked the box for it, you know? Like, you've got other great films in that lineup. Like, I haven't seen Loving Vincent, but I've heard good things about it. And then The Breadwinner and some other things. And as much as I would love to see The Breadwinner get some recognition, I think Coco does feel like a traditional winner and one that I can definitely live with. So, any final thoughts? Go see Coco. Go see Coco. Preferably, Go preferably be about definitely. 20 minutes late, though, you know. I was going to say, don't worry. Get Go to a theater where you reserve your seat so you don't have to be in line. And just, you know, take your time at the popcorn stand. <laughs> so, all right. Well, that about wraps it up for this week. Anybody got anything fun you're doing this coming um, week? If we're talking screenings, I think the only screening that I have this week, I, I get to see hostels, so... Fingers oh crossed I'm not going to be... I predict that you will not enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, fingers <laughs> crossed I don't despise it, but yeah, I... Oh, God. See, I'm I really have, curious. I think that. Wonder Wheel this week, downsizing, and film stars don't die in living. Ooh, we got to talk film nice. stars when it comes out, because I have thoughts. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that. Yeah. Lauren, how about you? Uh, I'm, I'm finally going to go see Coco, <laughs> like, tomorrow. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Oh man, this week I'm seeing Wonder Wheel and Disaster Artist and In the Fade. I want to see and that. Then, and then I'm on the list, I think, to go to a very special event that I'm afraid to talk about because I don't want to Is it the very so special I event hopefully... that I was going to go to, but then I realized I yes. was poor? Yeah. You, yes. you go so for You go for me, Karen. You go for me. You, story next you week. Go for me. <laughs> Tell us stories about the very special event. Lots of stories. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So, all right. So, uh, Kristen, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at journeys underscore film. And Lauren? I am on Twitter at LHBusiness. And Kimberly? At kpierce624. I personally am at Karen M. Peterson on Twitter. And you can follow Citizen Dame on Twitter at CitizenDamePod. And on Facebook at facebook.com slash citizendame. Please rate, review, subscribe, share if you love the show. Let your friends know about it. Tell everyone. You can also find the podcast on citizendame.podbean.com and Stitcher Radio. And iTunes and all the good podcast places. All right. For all of us here at Citizen Dame, thank you so much for listening. Have a great week. To say goodbye, remember me Don't let it make you cry For even if I'm far away, I
Remember me Each time you hear a sad guitar Know that I'm with you The 